Dr. Kimasabi. He's trying to get some of that study in for the next big exam, are we? How's that one looking for you, champion? It's okay, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, sweetie, you're doing really well. You've even misspelt your name up in the top right corner there already. Don't worry about that. Don't stop, never give up. Hold your head high and reach the I'm top. sorry, I'm sorry. You're trying to use S Club 7 to get him through this one? Mate, there's no chance. You're probably going to break your pencil before you even walk into the exam. Let the world see what you have got. Bring it all back to you. It's hopeless. Well. <clears throat> yes, I did have fake eyelashes on. I did not realise how difficult they are. Girls, I don't know how you do it. I tried to pull mine off and I ended up pulling like half my actual like eye, eyebrow out, eyelash out in the process. Um, well, I don't know whether you know, but psychologists and researchers uh, tell us that the average person has anywhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts that go through their mind every single day. Which means when you, when you think about it and when we break it down, that you and I talk to ourselves more than anyone else on the planet talks to ourselves. Which means that we can be the most influential people to our lives or we can almost be, also be the most detrimental people to our lives. And with that many thoughts going through our mind every day, with up to 60,000 thoughts going through your mind every day, it kind of uh, leads to the question, right, what stories do we tell ourselves? If someone had to camp out in your mind for 24 hours, what kind of messages would they hear repeated? When they hear you talking to yourself over and over and over again, are there some messages that are going to be repeated more than others? What kind of things are you saying to yourself? And for us here at Beyond, the reason that we do these series, and if you're here tonight for the very first time, uh, and you know me just as the guy that was dressed up in drag makeup, my name is Chris, uh, I'd love to introduce myself, I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond Church, and the way we do things is we do things in series. And so for, for a number of weeks, as Emma and Clarissa said, we'll, uh, we'll take one big idea and we'll come at it from a whole heap of different angles. And with this series, we kind of wanted to address, you know, with this many thoughts, why do we tell ourselves the stories that we do? And so before we launch this series, in order to, so that we could add the most value to you, in order so this series could be as helpful as possible, we sent a note out to our connect groups, which are just small groups that meet all throughout the week. Uh, and we, we ask them, we say, hey, we want you to confidentially and anonymously write down what do you think about you. When you go home, when it's just you, when the noise settles, what do you think about you? In other words, what are the stories that you keep telling yourself over and over and over again? And these, these are just some of the responses that we got. The, some of them were, I'm selfish. Someone else said this, I'm not doing a good enough job at my life. Ever told yourself that? Ever got to a point in life where you're like, man, I thought I would be so much further down the road than where I am right now. Someone else said this, they said, why did you do that? You're such an idiot. I think I did that like three times, said that to myself three times today. What about this? Anyone ever said this? They're so much better than me. We look at other people maybe in the same field that we're in or in the same, uh, have the same aspirations or hobbies that we do and we go, man, if only I had their talent. If only I had their, their family set up. They're just so much better than me. What about this one? No one will understand me. I've got this thing that I'm wrestling with. I've got this tension I'm trying to work out, but I, I just can't because, because no one will understand me. 
Here's the last one. I may, oh no, this is the second last one actually. I may have annoyed someone by doing or saying that. How many people have sent a, a, a message on Facebook and then it gets seen, but they don't respond? And you're like, oh my goodness, did I offend them? I didn't mean to offend them. Should I send them another message? Oh my goodness, will they think I'm annoying if I send another message? Will they freak out? And you're like, I didn't mean to offend them. Maybe I should call them now. Maybe I should text them. Maybe I should slide into their DMs on Instagram. I need to make sure that I didn't offend them. And that, just, that voice just plays over and over again. This is the last one for the night. <clears throat> if there's anything negative happening in my life, I tell myself it's all my fault. And these are, these are just some, this is a sample of what people kind of came back to us with. And it kind of, as, as I was reading through and looking at people's responses, it, it kind of got me to ask this question, why do we let ourselves talk to ourselves the way that we do? Like, you think about this. If your boss or your boyfriend or your girlfriend was to walk up to you and say, everything bad that happens in your life is your fault, pretty soon they'd be single. You'd be out of there, girlfriend, boys. You'd be out of there. You'd be, you'd be gone. If, if you walked around and everyone that you walked up to goes, you're so selfish. You're so selfish. Nothing, everyone else is so much better than you at that. You should stop that because there's so many people who are so much better than you. You would, you would say, well, this is not a healthy work environment. This is not a positive work environment. This is not a healthy relationship to be in. You would never walk up to your friends and say some of the things that you think in your own mind. In fact, some of the things that you think to yourself, you would never, ever utter to another human being. Which makes me wonder, why is it that we let, our, let ourselves talk to ourselves the way that we do and we would never accept it from anyone else. And I, I think that as we move forward, we've really got two options with the way we talk to ourselves, right? The first option is to this, uh, to take control of your thoughts. We can either begin to actually say, you know what, actually, if anyone else talked to me that way, I wouldn't accept it. So maybe it's time that I, I, under, I actually address why I'm talking to myself this way. Maybe I need to actually begin to take control of my thoughts. Or the other option is simply this, to let your thoughts take control of you. And you're smart, like I know this, you're smart. So I know that no one here tonight looks at this and goes, I want to pick option two. No one here pick, wakes up and goes, you know what? I just hope that my thoughts dictate every behavior for the rest of my life. I hope that I wake up tomorrow and the, way, the, the negative thoughts that I have about myself, I, help, I hope they drive my behavior. No one ever wants to get to this point. Yet so many of us get to this point in our lives where our thoughts control the way we think, our thoughts control the way we feel, our thoughts control the careers we go after. So why is it we have such, such a difficult time following along with option one and taking control of our thoughts? And with this series, that's what we want to do. We want to kind of unpack and explore how is it that we can pursue option one? How is it that we can begin to take control of our thoughts so that our thoughts don't end up taking control of us. Now, I understand that there are maybe some of you in this room uh, and your first initial thought when I say this kind of thing, uh, you push back because you're like, oh, this is just some pop psychology message series for the next four weeks. And I want to let you know right off the bat, this is not some kind of pop psychology message series because I'm not qualified to give any kind of pop psychology advice. This series gets to the heart of our, uh, some of our tensions as human beings. 
In fact, this issue, this series gets right to the heart of why this guy called Jesus, that we, that we come together and we worship here on a Sunday, why Jesus actually had to step into history and die on a cross in the first place. This issue gets to the heart of the matter of why a guy from 2,000 years ago, a carpenter in some backwater town, is still celebrated and revered by people all over the world today. This series gets right at the issue that so many of us struggle with. And we're going to launch into this series tonight by looking at a letter that a guy called Paul wrote. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know who Paul is, don't worry, because Paul actually himself would have been in the position where you are, where he had no church experience. Because before Paul became a Christian, Paul was actually a Christian killer. Then Paul had this radical encounter with Jesus, and it changed the trajectory of his life. In fact, it changed the the trajectory of his life so dramatically that he ended up writing 13 of the 27 documents that comprise what Christians refer to as the New Testament part of the Bible. And that's significant because of those 13 documents that Paul wrote, he mainly wrote letters. Paul mainly wrote letters to churches that he started or to people. And in those letters that he wrote, he was always addressing issues that were happening at that particular church or tensions that that person was wrestling through. And he gave them advice and he talked them through how they could best address some of those tensions. But there's one of those letters that is unique. There's one of them that's different to all the others because it's not actually written to a specific church. It's actually written to the church in a city called Rome in Italy. And this wasn't one single church. In fact, there were churches scattered all throughout Rome that Paul addressed this letter to. And this is significant because Paul didn't start the church in Rome. Paul had never been to Rome. And it's this fascinating uh, letter because it's not actually addressing anything that's going on in Rome. Paul actually goes, hey, if you want to know what Christians believe, This is what they believe. And Paul spends the first half of his letter, the first 11 chapters of this letter, addressing who Jesus is, why he came to earth, and what the significance is, and how, why it matters for us. In fact, if you're even curious, slightly curious about the whole Jesus thing, my best piece of advice is this week, go home, download the the YouVersion Bible app, or get online, and just read the book of Romans. And Paul will outline exactly why, who Jesus is, why he is important, and why it is that it matters in your life. But Paul spends the first 11 chapters of this, of this letter kind of laying the theoretical groundwork. And then it kind of changes when he gets to chapter 12. And at the start of chapter 12, Paul moves from uh, information to application. And the reason he does this is because information is great and information is helpful but it's application that changes lives. And so Paul transitioned because he goes, hey, the, the application point, given all this, here's what you need to know. And in this part that we're going to look at when we dive in on this part of this letter tonight, Paul actually begins the application part talking about how we can begin to take control of our thoughts because it is so central to following Jesus. And so he begins this transition this way. He says, and so... In other words, in light of all the theory, here's the application. Here's where it's leading. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Now, this is not physical bodies. Paul Paul recognizes that we and you and I are not just physical people. There's more to us. There's There's an emotional side. 
There's a spiritual side. And so Paul says, give all of you, all the different facets of who you are, give that to God. And the reason why is because of all he has done for you. Now at this point, we need to just like take a quick time out and acknowledge that Paul's writing this to Christians. So I totally get if you're sitting in the room here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, God hasn't done anything for me. I, I, I totally understand why you would feel that way if I was sitting there having experienced what you, you had experienced in your life. I would say that same thing. But Paul's writing to Christians and Christians, I need to be clear, Paul's not talking about here that time you're in church and you got a fuzzy feeling. Paul's not talking about that time that you prayed a prayer and then God delivered and it was in your prayer journal. Okay, Paul talks about that in other places. What Paul is talking about here, Paul's saying, in light of all he has done for you, Paul's saying, I don't want you to think of a feeling. I don't want you to think of a memory. I want you to think of an event that happened in history. And the event that Paul's referring to is a Friday when the Savior of the world, Jesus, was hung on a cross in between two criminals and left to die. And when his last piece of life left his body, it was almost like hope was extinguished for the Christians. And then three days later on Sunday, rumors started to spread that the tomb was empty. And words started to get out, and then Jesus started appearing to people. And all of a sudden, Christians started to believe that, hey, this, we saw this guy die, and now he's back from, from, the, from the dead. And all of a sudden, the greatest fear, the greatest uh, enemy to all of us, which is where we will all face one day death, was all of a sudden not final anymore. Because it was meant there was something more. And so Paul goes, in light of all he has done for you, give your body, uh, give, give all that you are to him. And then he goes on. He says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That's a weird word. We're going to get back to that in a second. The kind he will find acceptable. When Paul says here sacrifice, what he's saying is, hey, Jesus died for you. And if someone is willing to die for you, there's a good chance they're actually for you. They actually want the best for you. And so Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, as a result of that, what this whole sacrifice thing is, it looks like putting Jesus at the center of your life. It looks like filtering your decisions through the lens of what Jesus would want for you. Given the fact that, that he gave up his life for you, maybe he just wants the best for you. Because you and I know that there are times in our lives where, where what we want is going to come into, uh, come into a crossroads with what God wants. And Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, in those times, I want you to pick and choose what Jesus wants for you. In that way, you'll be living as a sacrifice to God. And then he goes on. He says, this is truly the way to worship him. And this worship, this is like a churchy word. It's a super churchy word. Usually, uh, when Christians hear this word, worship, they usually think of two things. They think of music, or they think of rituals or traditions that happen in an hour on a Sunday. And if you've ever thought that way, I want, I want it to be crystal clear tonight, Paul never talks about worship like that. Paul didn't go around going, are you listening to the new Hillsong Young and Free album? Are you listening to the new Elevation album? And that's funny, because, but people who have no church experience are sitting here like, what? I've never heard of that. That's so, Hillsong Young and what? Like, that's weird. Paul goes, and the reason Paul goes, is, is, uh, is saying this is because if you worship God in an hour on a Sunday, you're missing it. 
In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus here, the reason that you call Christians hypocrites is because they haven't got this thing yet. They think it happens in an hour on a Sunday. They think they can rock up to church, come up for 60 minutes, and it's all good. They think that my life doesn't actually have to revolve around Jesus for the other 167 hours of the week as long as we, he and I are good for the one. And that's what's led you to call Christians hypocrites because they haven't truly followed Jesus. And I know that might be harsh if you're a Christian, but that's what Paul wrote, not me. Don't get mad at Paul, not me. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. And the, Paul goes on because he says, hey, if, if you really want to get this application part down, if you really want to start to take control of your thoughts, and this is what you need to do, don't copy. In other words, don't try and emulate. Don't try and do it the same way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And what he simply means by that is, is every single person in this world has something that they worship. That might be money, that might be power, that might be social status, that might be acceptance of other people, but every single person has something in this world that they worship. And I get it that you might push back and you, you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't really worship anything, man. I'm kind of like an atheist. I get that. But the thing you worship is really the thing that controls your decisions. If every decision in your life is controlled by money, chances are maybe money is at the center of your life. If every decision you make in your life is filtered through, will people like me or will people not like me because of this, then chances are what's at the center of your life is a need for acceptance of other people. If every single decision you make in your life is, is filtered through the lens of, how can I get more control in this situation? How can I control what people think about me, what people feel about me? How can I control how people perceive me? Then chances are what lies at the center of your life is a need for power and a need for control. And Paul's saying that, that everyone worships something, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then you shouldn't be doing that. You should have Jesus at the center. And then he goes on. He says, but let God transform. And this idea of transform is almost like a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. But let God transform you into something, into a new person. And this is how God does it. By changing the way you think. God transforms you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And the reason why this starts the application the part of the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans explaining what Christianity is is because it's so important because the voices you believe will determine the future that you experience. Paul knew that if you let those voices inside that you talk to yourself with that say get power, get power, get power, that will determine the future that you're going to experience. If you constantly listen to those voices that you talk to yourself with that say hey, do it, do it for the likes. Do it, do it for everyone else's approval. Do it for every, what everyone else thinks of you. That's going to determine the future that you experience. If everything's for money, if everything's around sex, if everything's about progressing your career, the way that you listen and the way that you talk to yourself will determine the future that you experience. And Paul says, God wants to transform your mind. And then he actually says, what will happen? Now, I know that I'm going to show you what might happen. I know some of you may not, may not believe him, and that's okay, I get that. But Paul goes, this is what happens when you let God begin to transform your mind. He says, 
then you will learn God's will for you. And what he says next is kind of crazy, particularly if you're brand new to church, because what Paul says is, God's will is good and pleasing and perfect and it's for you. And chances are, the reason that, that, that coming to church was so weird for you is because you thought that God wanted to judge you, condemn you and send you to hell. Maybe for, this is the first time in your life you're like, hang on a minute, God, what? Hang on, God wants something for me? God, God actually wants something good for me, not something bad for me? God wants to give me something, not take something away? That, oh, that's so confusing. And the reason is maybe because you've heard what a follower of Jesus has said to you, not what God has actually said to you. And if that's you, I just, I just want to apologize. I want to say sorry. And I hope that over the next couple of weeks, you'll continue to come back and maybe that you'll begin to discover what, what Jesus actually has to say about you because chances are it's incredibly different to what even you say about you. Or maybe what the church has said about you in the past. And so with all of this in, in mind, right, that, that okay, God is going to transform our minds by changing the way we think, and if we do that, then, uh, then we'll get to experience this, this thing which is good and pleasing and perfect. It kind of leaves us with this question, like, where do we go from here? Because if I want to maybe begin to even think about taking control of my thoughts, Chris, and I'm not saying I do, but if I did how would I go about that? And the good news is, is that Paul actually explains that. Paul says, what you want to do, if you want to begin to transform the way you think, is take captive. In other words, begin to actually be aware of what you're thinking. Begin to grab a hold of. Don't let thoughts just pl uh, fly through your mind, but take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that passes through your mind, grab a hold of it. Understand what it is. Understand why you're thinking it in the first place and then make it obedient to Jesus. Now, I, I totally get that some of you are like, bro, like, I don't want to make it obedient to Jesus just yet. I'm, this is my first time here. I totally get that. And so tonight, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. This is like something you should do. Go back to the worship part earlier. But, but if, if just this week, if you're not sure about it, I just want to help you take this step. Take your thoughts captive. Begin to take them captive. And, and we have this thing at Beyond, if you're brand new, it is called our Four Mondays. Pretty much because we believe the same thing that Paul believed, that information doesn't change lives. Applied information does. And so we want to give you a way to apply what we've been talking about tonight. Because we think that the church shouldn't just be on Sunday, but it should impact you for the rest of your week. And so this week for Monday is just super simple. I want you to discover what you're saying to yourself. Just for the next seven days, begin to actually discover what it is that you are saying to yourself. How are you talking to yourself? And there's three ways you can do that. Three super simple ways. The first way is to identify who you're listening to. Who are the most influential people in your life? An easy way is to just make a list. Make a list of the, the three to five most influential people in your life. The, whatever advice, you, the, the people that you turn to when you need advice, the people that influence your decisions the most, who is it you're listening to? And some of these people might surprise you. 
Because some of these people might tell you, to, these, these people are people that you might not think are influential, but someone tells you to do something and you do it anyway and you don't know why you did it. And that's obviously someone you're listening to. The second way uh, is once you've determined who, identify what they're telling you. Those influential people in your life, they can influence you for incredibly great things. But they, we know, and maybe you know, that they can influence you for, in some incredibly, incredibly negative ways as well. And if the voices you listen to are going to determine your future, then you need to know what those voices are telling you. And then the final thing, because this series is called Talking to Myself, we should get you to think about what you're saying to yourself. And it's, I just want you to identify what are you telling yourself. This week, just take a moment. And maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, that sounds exhausting. Okay, that's fine. For one day, just one 12-hour period or 16-hour period, however long you're awake, I just want you to track what's, what's that internal monologue? What are those things that you say to yourself over and over and over again? And then pull out your phone or pull out your journal if you, if you, uh, if you have a journal, pull out your diary, whatever it is, and just jot them down. Identify what it is you're telling yourself because chances are you might really be surprised when you begin to pay attention what exactly you're telling yourself. I guarantee that there will be at least one instance this week where you're doing something and you're actually paying attention. You go, oh, why would I say that to myself? Why would I think that to myself? Where did that come from? And as we wrap up, fellas, I just want to talk to you. Girls, the only reason I'm not talking to you is because I'm not a girl, so I can't, I can't speak from this perspective. But fellas, I know just how difficult it is to do this. I understand that the last thing you want to do is come to church and have a dude up the front tell you what to do. And I know that in your head, you're like pushing back. You're like, I ain't listening to no pastor, dude. I ain't listening to no church, dude. Tell me what to do. And I understand that for some of you, you know, you're like, I want to get to the fixing part. I want to get to the application part. I get that. But we can't get there unless we begin to do this first. And the reason is, is you can't change the things you say to yourself until you know what you're saying to yourself. And that's so true for all of us. You don't want your thoughts, and I don't want your thoughts to control you, just like I don't want my thoughts to control me. But the thing is that we can't move forward, and we can't change the way we talk to ourselves until we begin to know what it is that we're saying to ourselves. So just for these next seven days, discover what it is you're saying to yourself. And then even if you're not sure about it, just come back next week. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. It's because you'll be surprised what you tell yourself. And if these are the things that you're telling yourself as you're going to find out this coming week, when you find out some of the things that you're telling yourself, you're not really going to like what you tell yourself. And I want to ask you, what's the alternative because could it be that maybe Jesus tells a completely different story and a completely different narrative to the one that you tell you? And if you've been telling yourself this story for 16, 17, 18, 20, 30, 40 years, don't you think four hours, one hour for four weeks is just, might just be enough to begin to write a different story? If you've been telling yourself and talking to yourself for this long and it hasn't been working, what have you got to lose? But if you begin to identify what you're saying to yourself, 
And if Paul, if there was anything to what Paul is saying, what you've got to gain is a completely different future and a completely new way and a completely new perspective of looking at the world that actually is a future you'll want to walk into. So I'd love to pray and I'd love to invite you to discover what you're talking to yourself about this week. Let's pray. Jesus, it can uh, be really difficult to begin to take some time to, to figure out, you know, what is it that we're saying to ourselves? Because sometimes we're confronted with things that we're not really sure where they came from or we're not really sure uh, why we're having those thoughts. But Lord, I pray that this week it would be an opportunity for people to begin to glimpse into the ways that they talk to themselves. And even if they're, even if they're not sure about this whole God thing, even if they're not sure about who you are, I pray that they would at least have the courage to, to maybe take a step and begin to discover, you know, well, if this is the way I'm talking to myself, I wonder what Jesus has to say to me. I wonder if he's got a different story to tell. I wonder, I wonder if maybe my experience with church and Christians has, has maybe been slightly different. Because if Paul was right, and if Paul talks about a God who is good and pleasing and wants something perfect for me, maybe that's just enough for me to begin to lean in at least a little bit and begin to discover the way that this Jesus would have me talk to myself. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that you would begin to transform the way that we think about the way that we talk to ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name.